Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, we wrap up the Dark Nest Trilogy. It's The Swarm War by Troy Denning, and we'll discuss that book coming up. But first, it's listener question time. Today's first email comes from Ben Willis. Ben says, Hi, I've been listening to the show for a while and have been reading Legends for a while. My favorite series would be a three-way tie between the Young Jedi Knights, The Last of the Jedi, and the Rebel Force series. I have three questions. First, do you plan on covering any of them? Second, what is your opinion on the trials that Lobaka endured at the Sith Academy? And finally, do you think we'll ever have a story in canon that will rival the journey that the Solo Twins go on from their introduction to their final appearance? I really appreciate what you do. It helps me look forward to what books to read next. Well, thank you very much for the email, Ben, and thank you very much for the kind words. I really appreciate you taking the time to email me. To answer your questions, I have read the Young Jedi Knight series. It's a pretty cool series from what I remember, but to be honest, I don't remember much. So, I really can't talk about Lobaka's trials at the Sith Academy, because I don't remember it. I read those back when they were published in the mid to late 90s. Now, I've never read The Last of the Jedi or the Rebel Force series. They were published between 2005 and 2010. And to be honest, I was pretty down on Star Wars during those years. I wasn't a fan of the prequels, and I'm still not, although I've come to appreciate the good parts in those movies more than I did when they were released. But that was during a time where I took a break from Star Wars, for almost a decade after Revenge of the Sith. Now, I didn't go cold turkey, but I focused on the original trilogy, and if I wanted to read a Star Wars book, I reread the 90s legend stories that I really liked. But... Opinions change over time. My opinions have changed. And I've now come to appreciate all of what took place in the early 2000s in Star Wars. As to your last question, Ben, I'm a little unsure how to answer it. I guess it depends on what you mean by rivals. Do I think Star Wars will tell a story that's very close to what we got with Jaina and Jason Solo? No. But... I see some parts of their story in the story we got with Rey and Ben Solo. Plus, a lot of Jason Solo's story, especially his fall to the dark side, is a bit too much like Anakin's fall for my taste. But you never know. Most Star Wars stories come around again. 
Thank you very much for the email, Ben. Today's second email comes from listener Hunter, who wrote a very nice email, but it was a little long, so I had to edit it down a bit for the podcast. Hunter says, I don't like the theory that Snoke was created by Sidious and was Force-sensitive and just grew in the dark side after the death of Sidious. To me, it takes a whole lot longer to become as powerful as Snoke is after 30 years. What I've concluded is that Palpatine meddled with life just as his master had done before him. Only this time, Palpatine had already put part of his consciousness in Snoke before his death, making Snoke already powerful. Palpatine influenced and maybe even controlled Snoke. For example, before Snoke dies, Palpatine, through Snoke, was trying to read the mind of Kylo Ren, but was only able to read what his intentions are and not what he was actually thinking. This would also explain Snoke's fear of Luke to me. Anyway, what are your thoughts on Snoke? Well, thank you very much for the email, Hunter. I love when fans come up with their own headcanon for how things work. I like your theory that Snoke wasn't a Palpatine clone, but a Force-sensitive being that Palpatine corrupted before Vader tossed old Palpy down the Death Star's reactor shaft, keeping his consciousness alive in Snoke. I think it works just as well as the story we got in the sequel trilogy for how Palpatine survived Vader destroying his master. Personally, Snoke is okay to me. I don't particularly like him. I don't particularly dislike him. But I agree with you. I wish Snoke was not a Palpatine clone. I think I'd find him more interesting if he lived a little longer in the sequel trilogy. I actually like that Kylo betrays Snoke and kills him, but I think it would have played better for me if it had happened in the opening act of the third movie, The Rise of Skywalker, allowing Kylo to assume the role of the big bad for the entire sequel trilogy and cutting Palpatine and the clone storyline out of the sequels completely. But maybe someone will write that fan fiction one day. Thank you very much for the email, Hunter. Now, listener, if you want to be cool like Ben or Hunter, you can email me your questions at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or you can send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Or if you'd like to get your voice on the show, just record yourself and email it in. Just please record your file in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now coming up at the end of today's show, I've got more listener favorite fighter squadrons. This might be the most fun thing we've done on the show. At least it is for me. Stay tuned for that, coming up at the end of the program. Now it's time to dive into today's book. The Swarm War by Troy Denning, the final book of the Dark Nest Trilogy. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Today's recap is going to be a little bit shorter because the plotline of this book is basically how will the Jedi stop the war between the Killicks and the Chiss while establishing what the role of the Jedi Order will be moving forward in the Legends timeline. And I want to have a little more time in the second half of the show to talk about the Jedi. What should their roles be? It's a discussion that Star Wars fans have had for 45 years and it's something that I've always been interested in. 
and it's my podcast. So, let's dive in. At the Jedi Temple on Ossus, Luke Skywalker has called the Jedi together to talk about how to end the Swarm War and what will be done with former Jedi Raynar Thull. Luke has become disenchanted with the new Jedi Order and the lessons that they've learned coming out of the war with the Yuuzhan Vong. Luke tells the Jedi audience that in order to get the Jedi back to the direction he thinks they should be heading, he's taking over the Order. Luke says he welcomes advice from everyone, but will decide all actions the Jedi will take henceforth. Luke also says that anyone that cannot put their Jedi duties above everything else must resign from the Order. Luke's announcement surprises some, stuns others. In the end, most agree to abide by Luke's new rules, but a few decide to resign, including Tanel Ka Jo. Of course, her responsibilities as queen mother of the Hapes Cluster and her newborn daughter take precedence over her duties to the Jedi. Luke, Leia, and the other masters thank Tanel Ka for her service and wish her farewell as she returns to Hapes. After Tanel Ka and the others that have resigned leave, Luke asks the remaining Jedi for suggestions on how to stop the war between the Kilix and the Chiss. Jason Solo remains adamant that the only way to end the war is to kill Raynar Thull and Lomi Plo and wipe out the Kilix completely. Luke agrees to take Jason's suggestion under consideration, but he would prefer to find a way to remove Raynar from control of the Kilix without killing him. Jason's thoughts frighten his fellow Jedi Knights, who approach Luke and Mara after Jason leaves and warn them that Jason has an ulterior motive for wanting the Killicks exterminated. He's hiding something, they say. And they say that in order to keep whatever it is hidden, Jason mind-wiped Ben Skywalker when they returned from their camping trip to Endor. When Luke and Mara confront Jason about this accusation, he admits to wiping Ben's memory. But Jason lies about his motives, saying he was trying to protect Ben from memories of watching a Gorak destroy an Ewok village. Of course, Jason is hiding the knowledge that he's the father of Tanel Ka's daughter, Alana. Luke decides to attack a Gorog nest ship to kill Lomi Plo and destroy the Dark Nest once and for all. The Jedi blow a hole in the side of the ship, allowing Luke, Mara, and Jason to enter. There, they find Lomi Plo, but are attacked by a group of Gorog. The Gorog swarm Mara and Jason. The two are seriously wounded, forcing Luke to abandon his attack and rescue his wife and nephew, allowing Lomi Plo to escape. As Luke rushes Mara and Jason to an Alliance medical frigate, Han, Leia, and Saba Sibitine head to the planet Tanupe. The Jedi have learned that the Chiss are prepared to release a biological weapon, a virus designed to infect insectoid aliens. The Chiss plan to infect the Killix on Tanupe in hopes it'll spread to other Killix planets in the Utageto Nebula. Jaina Solo and Zek are on Tanupe leading the Killix forces, with Raynar Thal taking advantage of their roles as joiners forcing Jaina and Zek to press the attack. Leia uses the Force to warn Jaina and Zek about the Chiss bioweapon. They jump in their X-Wings and chase the two dropships, 
containing the virus bombs. As they chase the ships, the former Jedi, Alima Rar, arrives in her X-Wing. She uses her influence with the Dark Nest to force Jaina and Zek to fly decoys for her. Alima destroys one of the ships before Jaina and Zek are shot down by Chiss Clawcraft. Alima shoots down the second dropship as well, but it isn't destroyed. Two of the bombs drop off into the Tanupe jungle. Han takes the Falcon down into the battle, dropping off Leia and Saba to search for the bombs while he goes to search for Jaina and Zek. Saba finds one of the bombs and destroys it, while Leia and Alima Rar find the other. The two duel in the jungle canopy. Leia cuts off half of Alima's foot, while Alima slams Leia's head into a large branch, giving her a concussion. Eventually, Alima corners Leia and moves in to finish her off, when suddenly, a huge spider sloth attacks, devouring Alima as Leia dodges out of the way. Leia cuts the branch, dropping the spider sloth and the bomb into the river below. Saba arrives and uses the force to detonate the bomb beneath the raging torrent, rendering the virus useless. The story ends with Luke leading a group of YVH bug cruncher droids to confront Raynar in the Unu nest ship. They infiltrate the ship and corner Raynar in a main hall. Raynar attacks, and Luke easily fends him off, slicing off Raynar's arm as he pins the former Jedi against the wall. As Luke tries to use the Force to sever Raynar's control over the will of the colony, Lomi Plo arrives. She attacks, trying to use Luke's doubts against him. But little does she know, Luke has dispensed with all doubt and easily defeats her, killing Lomi Plo and releasing the Gorog from her influence, ending the Dark Nest. With the Dark Nest destroyed and Raynar's will over the colony over, the Killicks return almost immediately to normal, acting like insects with individual nests, regulating themselves and ending their expansion into Chiss space. The Swarm War ends with the Chiss and the Galactic Alliance agreeing to a truce, and the Chiss returning to the Ascendancy. Time for a break. When we come back, I'll talk more about the Swarm War. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thanks for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to suggest a book from Star Wars canon. Queen's Shadow is the story of Padme Amidala, after she steps down as queen and steps up to represent Naboo in the Galactic Senate. Together with her loyal handmaidens and the help of new allies, Padme tries to navigate the labyrinth that is galactic politics on Coruscant. That's Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today's book is The Swarm War by Troy Denning, the third and final book in the Dark Nest trilogy. Those of you who have listened to the previous two episodes of the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where I talk about the Joiner King and the Unseen Queen, know my feelings on the Dark Nest trilogy. It's not my favorite series in Legends. 
This is probably the third time that I've read the series. And for me, these books are really just a bridge to get from the New Jedi Order series into the Legacy of the Force series. There's a lot of set-em-ups in these books. I'm not really sure of the character arcs that our heroes take in these books really work on their own. I mean, they do. Don't get me wrong. They do work, but I think they're most effective in setting up the story going forward. One of the things I find a little off-putting in these books is Jason Solo's vision that the war between the Killicks and the Chiss are going to be some sort of eternal war that will engulf the entire galaxy. This is just coming out of the New Jedi Order series where we had the Yuuzhan Vong literally taking over the entire galaxy. It just seemed like that story was so huge. You know, the Yuuzhan Vong War spans the entire galaxy and lasts five years. We go straight from that into another war that is supposed to engulf the entire galaxy. It's like we needed something a little smaller in scale just to take a breath. But I think this does give you a nice bridge into the next long series, The Legacy of the Force, which is nine book series about the fall of Jason Solo. So personally, I think the most effective aspect of the Darkness trilogy is to show the debate amongst the Jedi as to what their roles should be moving forward. You have those like Corrin Horn and Kent Hamner who believe that the Jedi Order should be subject to the interests of the Galactic Alliance. And then you have others like Kip Duran and several of the younger Jedi Knights who believe that the Jedi Order don't answer to any government, that they serve the will of the Force. In my opinion, Luke falls more in the latter category, but he also doesn't want to be antagonistic to the Galactic Alliance. Meaning, in this conflict between the Chiss and the Killicks, Kip, Jaina, Zek, Lobaka, the younger Jedi Knights are all adamant that the Killicks are the aggrieved party, that the Chiss are the ones who are the aggressors, and the Jedi should defend the Killicks against the Chiss. In defiance of what the Galactic Alliance wants, of course we know that Chief Cal Omas and many in the Galactic Alliance government want the Jedi to side with the Chiss, opposing Killick expansion in that part of the Unknown Regions. Luke seems to me like he doesn't want to take a side, and I'm not sure that he needs to. Luke's thoughts are, is there a way to end this war, de-escalate the conflict, and return the Killicks to the state that they were before two extremely strong force users took over the colony. In the end, Luke's philosophy is the one that wins out. 
The question, though, is how does that philosophy serve as a guideline for the Jedi Order moving forward? As much as I love the Legends books, I think one of the legitimate critiques any reader could have is in its depiction of the Force and the Jedi. I think I mentioned before that at least early on in the Legends books and the ones in the early to mid-90s, the Force is used as a video game power-up anytime Luke needs to level up in order to defeat an enemy or overcome some sort of hazard, he's able to do that. During the New Jedi Order series, the Jedi become more militaristic, a lot like the Jedi are depicted during the prequel trilogy era. And one of the things fans know about that is this is the wrong thing for the Jedi to do. So, I like the discussion that Luke has with the Jedi Order here in Legends coming out of the Yuuzhan Vong War. Now remember, the Darkness trilogy of books were published after the prequel trilogy of movies. So the author, Troy Denning, was able to see the mistakes that the Jedi Council was making during the Clone Wars. And he brought some of those discussions into these books. We talk about the two different sides that the Jedi take and how Luke is trying to find a third way. Well, the wild card in the Legends timeline coming out of the Yuuzhan Vong War and moving forward through the end of Legends is Jason Solo. And the way the Yuuzhan Vong War influences his philosophy about the Jedi and the Force. I'm not going to go into any specifics because we're going to get to the new Jedi Order in Season 3 of the podcast. But I could describe Jason as some sort of weird amalgamation of Qui-Gon Jinn and Anakin Skywalker. Meaning, we know Qui-Gon kind of marched to the beat of his own tune, believing that the Jedi were to listen to the living force and had a duty to act if the force told the Jedi to do something. For his part, Anakin grew to believe that if he was able to become powerful enough, he could keep all of his loved ones safe and bring peace throughout the galaxy. Those are two philosophies that Jason adheres to. However, Jason has also come to believe that the ends justify the means. That a Jedi is justified in doing terrible things if they're for the right reasons. Jason does not believe in the light side or the dark side of the Force. But he believes that if a Jedi's intentions are pure, then whatever actions that Jedi may take, they're justified. As I said, this book really is a set up This whole trilogy is a set up to Jason Solo's eventual downfall. And the two scenes specifically in the Swarm War where we get that are the two scenes where Luke is accessing 
R2-D2's memories of the final days between his mother and father, Padme Amidala and Anakin Skywalker. Jason and Mara view the two holograms with Luke. In the first one, Anakin returns to their apartments on Coruscant, tells Padme that he has become powerful enough to end the Clone Wars, and that Anakin and Padme can rule the galaxy together. The second hologram is when Padme arrives on Mustafar. Anakin, in a fit of rage and jealousy, attacks Padme, chokes her, then the hologram turns, and there's Obi-Wan Kenobi arriving. And then finally, R2 shows Luke Padme dying in childbirth. Jason sees these holograms, and while Mara is trying to console Luke, obviously it's shocking, it's disheartening, it's sad to see his father treat his mother this way, Jason comments that what he sees is a man trying to keep his family safe. Of course, we know Jason is the father of Tanel Ka's daughter, Alana. He wants the Killicks wiped out in order to keep the war from expanding into Galactic Alliance territory, eventually getting to the Hapes Cluster and threatening his daughter. It's not that Jason has become militaristic. He's not. Jason, though, has just become harsh. I don't mean that in an evil sense. As I said, for Jason, the ends justify the means. He wants to keep his daughter safe. He wants to keep his lover, Tanel Ka, safe. If it means the extinction of an alien species, so be it. He doesn't want the Killicks wiped out because of some hatred toward the Killicks. Honestly, I don't think Jason cares one way or the other. He simply wants the galaxy to remain at peace. Understandable, coming out of the Yuzhan Vong War. And for Jason, if it takes the extinction of a species to keep the galaxy safe, so be it. Now, we'll get more into Jason Solo's downfall coming up when we go over the Legacy of the Force series, which I would assume will be coming in Season 4 of the podcast. But when I go through the New Jedi Order series next season, it'll start to explain why Jason feels this way. The one thing I do think is odd when Luke, Mara, and Jason look at these holograms, though, are Luke and Mara's reactions to Jason's reaction. Jason says he sees a man who's trying to keep his family safe. I think that would throw a red flag if I was Luke and Mara. You just watched your grandfather choke your grandmother, and then your grandmother die in childbirth. And 
while Jason says that's unfortunate, he basically says, I can understand what Anakin was feeling at that time. Again, that would throw a red flag for me. Plus, they know that Jason used a memory-wiping technique on their son. If nothing else, they should immediately say that Ben is no longer your Padawan. We're taking Ben away from you, Jason. We're telling your parents what you've just said. There has to be some sort of intervention here. I don't know. Luke's reactions to the things that Jason says after viewing that hologram and Jason mind-wiping his son just doesn't seem like Luke Skywalker to me. But, you know, a lot of years have passed since the end of Return of the Jedi. This series of books is almost 25 years later. So people can change over that amount of time. Anyway, it's almost time to wrap up today. But first, we've got another Star Wars Fighter Squadron. Today's entry comes from friend of the show, Rusar Vareth. Now, Rusar did not give his squadron a name, so I'm going to give it one for him. Rusar's Twitter avatar is one of the Bith members of the Cantina Band, and he's playing an instrument called the Fizz. So, let me introduce you to Fizz Squadron by Rusar Vareth. Fizz 1, Luke Skywalker, Commander. Fizz 2, Wedge Antilles. Fizz 3, Corrin Horn. Fizz 4, Hera Syndulla. Fizz 5, Poe Dameron. Fizz 6, Yvonne Verlaine, and presumably her Y-Wing. Fizz 7, Nora Wexley. Fizz 8, Chewie, Chewbacca. Now, I do have one question about that one, Rusar. Is Chewie flying a fighter? I'm not sure he would fit in it. Maybe he would. Maybe I'm mistaken. But I'd like to know, is Chewbacca flying a fighter? Or is he some sort of support transport pilot? Fizz 9, Biggs Darklighter. And Fizz 10, his younger cousin, Gavin Darklighter. Ah, the Darklighters reunited in Fizz Squadron. Also, Rusar says that he would require all members of Fizz Squadron to have a mustache. That would be awesome. Great selections, Rusar. Everybody, keep them coming in. Send me your all-time Starfighter Squadrons, or your all-time Star Wars Ground Platoons, or your underground spy cells. I don't care. Whatever team you want, send it in. I love reading these. Now, time to wrap up. If you have a question or comment for the show, email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at Legends Lounge 1. Or, if you want to get your voice on the show, record your own audio file and email it to swlegendslounge at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Just record it in MP3 or MP4 format. Coming up on the next episode, we're jumping back in the Legends timeline to the prequel era with one of the final 14 Legends novels that I haven't read yet. It's The Approaching Storm, by Alan Dean Foster. I'm really excited to read it. Tune in to that show August 19th. 
Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.